0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. What makes something a scandal? An elected official breaking the law? The way a CEO misuses his position? Something involving a lack of justice? Well, I think we can include all of these and more, But what kind of scandal is the worst? Embezzling? Bribery? Adultery? Extortion? The gossip about all these things? Well, what does Jesus say? What does he call a scandal? For that, we'll have to get into the text. Our gospel begins with the words, after six days. Six days before, Jesus had asked his disciples to make a confession about him. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's confession was profound, and it was the first time it had come from his lips. The expectations about the Messiah varied widely in first century Judaism. But everyone agreed on this. The Messiah would be a mighty, conquering ruler. The Messiah would come and establish his kingdom. Peter knew his Old Testament, and he recognized that Jesus is this promised Messiah. Yes, Peter, I am the Christ, the promised, anointed one. And this is what that means. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But Peter didn't want that kind of Messiah. A dead Messiah wasn't going to save anyone. A dead Messiah would not be a mighty, conquering ruler, a dead messiah. A messiah killed by others would be no messiah at all. Now, Peter trusted in Jesus. He has just called him his Lord, but Peter doesn't want his Lord Jesus to die. Peter doesn't want a dead Messiah. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus responds to Peter with what might be the harshest rebuke in all the Gospels, more harsh than what he says to Pharisees and pagans. To zealots or despisers of God's word, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, though you confess me to be the Christ, you do not confess what I, the Christ, have come to do. You are separating me from my work. And so you speak for Satan himself. You are a hindrance to me. This, says Jesus, is the scandal. You are a hindrance, a scandalon to me. When Peter dares to divorce Jesus from his cross, Jesus calls it, a scandal a scandal on is a temptation to sin an offense or a scandal you cannot separate the messiah from his cross dear peter and then and then jesus goes on to explain that there would not only be a cross for the christ everyone who followed Jesus would bear their own cross too. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now I'm sure the disciples, and especially Peter, we're pondering these things for days. And they are probably still meditating on them when we get to our text today. In his gospel account, St. Matthew rarely provides time markers. And so it is significant that he introduces our text today with the words, after six days. In other words, Matthew wants us to see. That what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration is inherently connected with Peter's scandalous rejection of the cross and the rebuke that Jesus gave to Peter. So now Jesus brings Peter to a high mountain. It's Peter's confession and faith that needs to be bolstered. Peter is the focus. But James and John are there, too, because every event needs two or three witnesses to be established. And what does Peter see on this mountain? He sees Jesus transfigured. His appearance changes. Jesus reveals his heavenly glory. His face shines like the sun. His clothing flashes like light. Peter sees that Jesus is God and it is this Jesus who is God who will be crucified. God will die. Peter needed to learn this truth. He needed to learn that there is no divorcing God's power and glory from his suffering and death. Peter needed to learn that the Messiah could only save sinners by being crucified. Jesus wears our flesh and blood, but in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. During his earthly ministry, our Lord humbled himself by not using his divine power to serve himself. He could have vaporized his enemies with a single word, but he didn't use force or violence against them. He chose not to use his divine might for himself. With all his power and glory, he chooses instead to use it to take our sins upon his own body, to defeat our death, by suffering death himself, to satisfy his own justice that demands death by giving up his life for us sinners, to end the threat of hell against us by taking its punishment in his own body. This is why Jesus came, and it's why Jesus considers it such a scandal that Peter would think of separating the Christ from his cross. Jesus makes it clear that preaching a Christ without a cross is a scandal. And yet, that hasn't stopped many popular preachers in our day from doing exactly that. It's common to hear ministers calling themselves Christian, who speak the name of Jesus, but they barely say anything at all about our Lord's cross. And some even prefer to leave the cross out entirely. You'll hear those who will promise you that Jesus will use his power and love to give you your best life now. But they ignore the cross and the suffering of Jesus because It might seem offensive to the crowds. The cross, after all, is its own kind of scandal to the world, and the world hates the cross. So when you hear preachers who avoid speaking of the cross, remember Jesus and how he rebuked Peter. Jesus says that this kind of preaching is a scandal against the gospel. Don't listen to this kind of preaching. What they preach is no gospel, for they are proclaiming a Jesus without his cross, a Jesus without the shedding of blood. They preach a Jesus who cannot save you. And don't be complacent in your listening either, thinking that some preachers are always safe in their preaching. Remember, Peter, how he had just confessed Jesus to be the Christ, how he had said some of the most profoundly true words in all the world, but then Peter said something false. Suddenly, this true confessor of the faith has turned into a false teacher, and Jesus had to rebuke him, "'Get behind me, Satan!' You are a scandal to me. So be discerning in your listening. Because what Jesus said then is still true today. Jesus is angry with preachers who don't preach him crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. So that is why we expect every single Sunday to hear the preaching of our Lord's cross. Now, one of the ways that we learn to be discerning is by considering our text today. See what is happening on this mount. Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus, and they are talking with him. Moses, we remember, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, or the Torah. And Elijah was among the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. So these two, Moses and Elijah, stand in for the law and the prophets, which, by the way, is one of our Lord's favorite ways to refer to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. So here we have Jesus in holy conversation With the old testament here on this mountain stand the entire bible speaking together with one voice because that's what the bible does and saint luke tells us what they're talking about jesus coming death the bible speaks with one voice that jesus has come to die And so if we want to be a Bible-believing church, this is what we must preach also. But Peter hasn't quite gotten it yet. And I don't really blame him. He is seeing Jesus shine like the sun, and Moses and Elijah with him. And so caught up in the moment, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Chances are that if you or I were there, we would say something equally foolish. But we also know the full story. We know that they can't all stay on the mountain. Jesus must still go to the cross. If Jesus stays on the mountain, then we once again get a crossless, bloodless Jesus, and we are without salvation. But while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus has just spoken of his upcoming death, and God the Father commands the disciples to listen to Jesus talk about his death. The Father spoke the same words at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is the Father's beloved Son, and the Son does the Father's will. And so taken together, we see that the transfiguration of Jesus shows that Christ and his death are not contradictions. His glory and his death belong together. Jesus the Christ has come to defeat death by passing through it. His glory is revealed by dying for the sins of all men and rising from the dead on the third day. So his glory on this mount of transfiguration points us also to his resurrection. And as we view Jesus shining in all his glory, giving us a vision of his resurrection, he speaks of his death. In the midst of all this, though, the disciples have reacted with fear, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified because the disciples know something that our society today has lost. So let's consider for a moment our Old Testament lesson. Moses had been on Mount Sinai talking with God, and when he came down from the mountain, his face shone because he had been before God's face. The people had been so terrified to hear God speak directly to them that they had begged Moses to go instead. And so he would go and talk to God. And then he would come back and report to the people what God had said to him. But even the reflected glory of God in the face of Moses was too much. They could not even look at Moses' face because the glory of God was there. This is who God is in all his power, apart from the death of Jesus. This blinding, burning glory is too much for the sinner to bear. We cannot look at him and live. Every Christian knows this. We know the pain of our own sin. We know the fear of God. God is angry with sin. How can I approach a holy God who demands my love when my own heart is stained with selfish desires? When I have sworn time and time again to do better, and I have again and again come up short when I have spoken harshly to those I love, judged my neighbor in my heart, and faltered in my prayers. Lord, to whom shall we go? This is where you are left when you keep Jesus off his cross, a holy and unapproachable God who would destroy you in your sin. It's why these disciples have fallen on their faces in fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus speaks words of comfort to the terrified, because Jesus knows that he will go to the cross Jesus knows that he will use his power not to condemn sinners, but to save them. Jesus will use his glory to give you his righteousness. And so here, with Jesus on his cross, you can look at God and not be afraid. You can stare into the face of God and not die. For you see that he bears your flesh and blood, that he has borne all your sins to the cross, and that your guilt and shame are buried in his grave. So you see your God and live. And now the Almighty Son stands in heaven, interceding before his Father on your behalf. In general, I think we are much like the disciples in our text. We want glory and not the cross. And we think they're contradictory. Sometimes we even think this way in the church. We see the persecution the church faces, and we wonder why God isn't caring for his people. We see the pressure that Christians in our own country face simply because they confess what the Bible says about marriage and family and creation. And we wonder why God could allow this to happen. This is true also when we consider our lives personally. We don't want hardships. We don't want trouble or suffering or pain. And when we do experience them, we're often left wondering... Why? Maybe we wonder if God is with us, or if God cares. We wonder if God could really be in charge of all of this. When the transfiguration was over, Jesus touched his disciples, saying to them, Rise, and have no fear. In the midst of our lives, Jesus does the same for us, He touches us and bids us to have no fear. It's what he did in our baptism when he touched us with his saving water, burying us in his death, raising us in his resurrection, and washing us in his name. He touches us in the sacrament of the altar, giving into our mouths his risen body and shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He touches us in the holy absolution. As the pastor lays his hand on our head and speaks the word of Jesus, I forgive you all your sins. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. For now the disciples do not understand, but they will all will become clear in the Lord's resurrection. We see a hint of this, too, in the Lord's transfiguration. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, but they also shine with Jesus. Jesus, the word made flesh, is the light that illumines the word. And Moses and Elijah, saints who have gone before us, Stand in the presence of Jesus and shine with him. They are cleansed from every sin. They are free from temptation. No more guilty conscience. No more shame. No more desire to sin. No more scandals. There is only love for God and neighbor and contentment in hearing the Lord's word there is the holy conversation about the Lord's cross. They talk with Jesus. They look him in the face and speak together of his cross, because his cross is God's glory and their salvation. The suffering and death of Jesus is the Lord's glory, and the resurrection makes it all clear. And it tells us that even as we bear our own crosses in this life, For all those who believe in Jesus Christ, this life can end in only one way. Resurrection life with Jesus in his glory. Today we receive a glimpse of that, for we join with Moses and Elijah and all the saints, and we come before our God without fear. Here we join our God in the holy conversation about our Lord's cross, we listen to Jesus and we rejoice in his death and resurrection, partaking of the fruits of his cross. And that is what we'll be doing forever. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen.